Live, everybody. This is Pete Wright hanging out here around the table with uh, regular Mary Bradbury Jones. Mary, how are in. you? We missed you last week. I know. Sorry about that. I was too bogged down. No, oh, bogged down. Whatever. <laughs> you missed a good show. You missed a, a, an interesting show with our semi-regular, irregular, uh, <laughs> our irregular uh, co-host Kurt Sivert. Welcome back, Kurt. Hello. It's nice to be back. It is good to see you from KurtSivert.com. That's it. That's it. And, and I will try to keep my Star Wars references to a minimum this week. I don't know. This this week of all weeks might, might be, more be appropriate. the appropriate you could place apply to apply a lot. The, uh, yeah. the, what was the uh, the gist of it? Was the, uh, the the Democrats could learn from Emperor Palpatine? Yes. As they. Okay. <laughs> okay. Our, We're getting our a look guest from our guest. For, our guest for the week, <laughs> Kari Chisholm. Kari, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're so glad to have you here. We are, you are. Uh, I'll try and channel Luke Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> You better. We're gonna need it. The uh, the Palpatine reference was uh, it's pretty rich uh, last week, uh, and come to find out that Kurt's actually been been prepping an essay for the uh, the blogosphere on his. His political very, leanings of Star Wars. I am a very occasional diarist yeah. on Daily Kos. People don't quite know what to make of me. <laughs> yes. Uh, Kari Chisholm, you are, uh, you are a... Um, how would you characterize yourself? I am a political consultant, uh, and the work that I do is uh, basically... Deal, works. I work in the Internet space. Some people make TV commercials. Others make radio commercials. They do polling. I build websites and help campaigns with their Internet strategy. And your sites, where do we find you? You find me. My, my company's uh, site is mandatemedia.com. Mm -hmm. That's the name of the company, Mandate Media. Mm -hmm. uh, you'll probably find much more interesting content at blueoregon.com, where I'm a regular daily blogger all about Oregon politics, for those of your audience that care mm -hmm. about Oregon. Um, and, uh, of course, uh, you know, building websites for a living, there are many, many websites that... That have credit. your name yes. on them, yeah. That I'm attached to. Excellent. Well, I hope we'll talk more about uh, those sites specifically, as well as uh, yeah, you as a as a as a political pundit. We have our, our first internet famous pundit here. <laughs> I don't know about famous, but okay. <laughs> well, it is great to have you here. Let us uh, let us go through the news. I have we have just a few things to talk about. Mary, what did you bring? You brought something good, right? Um, well, I just heard on the way over that. Um, Peter Pace is retiring in September. We lose another general. Yes, and the mighty shall fall. That's about the time when he said that the, the surge would either work or not work. Exactly. So he's the September deadline that General Pace put out there. So he, he's, he's pre-quitting. Exactly. He's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Dodging accountability. He's, he's not, so that he's if not it worked, he could say, you don't need me. Whoa. Either, either, yeah, if it, if it, if it works, uh, he sails off in the sunset. Uh, and if it didn't work, uh, he, he can't get fired. And he says, you know, <laughs> this is brilliant. I told you so, or whatever. Who knows? Uh, so what follows General Pace? What's next? Another, oh, you mean in the process? Mm -hmm. Well, another. Another puppet. Yes, another and another nomination and another confirmation. General. And he was with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, right? Is that what he's doing? He is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Right, yeah. okay. It's hard to keep track of all the yeah. generals that they rotate through. Yeah, I, mean, I hear so many retired generals coming out of the woodwork, you know, with their opinions about the war that are inconvenient opinions, according to the administration. It seems like there's more and more and more of these. It'll be fun generals. to hear from General Pace in a few months. Yeah, when you some say. time. Right. Like, I don't know who I was exit. back then. Boy, this place sucks. <laughs> <laughs> He'll write a book, it'll be a million dollar advance, he'll call right. George some names, it'll be exactly. great. His little love letter to the administration. 
uh, that is a, uh, what is it with all these generals that are coming out of the woodwork, though? I mean, I'm glad you brought that up, because uh, inconvenience seems to be a fairly delicate way to put it. I almost wonder if they've signed like something akin to a non-compete, you know, agreement or something. Because it seems like that they quit and then they're silent for many months. For six months, and then they talk. Right? <laughs> we gotta graph that out. Is it 180 days? Yeah, yeah. I wonder. <laughs> Is there a grace period from quitting where they're still kind of under their? They need to be deprogrammed. <laughs> yeah, there's something to that yeah. probably. Uh, what else? Uh, what else is going on in the world of politics? What, are you looking at me? Why not? Why not anybody else? Because you're the one oh. who, br who brings it. You bring your game, your A game. Well, here's, well, this is an interesting one. Did you hear that um, there's pictures of Bush drinking at the G8? No, I hadn't heard this. I have a yeah. rule that you only drink tequila when you're south of the Mexican border. Yeah. So he clearly only drinks beer when he's, you know, over the pond. Oh, right. <laughs> clearly the case. Now, now wh I think why they, is the White that House made a statement that it was non-alcoholic, but I think there's people. Sure. I don't think Germans make non-alcoholic Well, that's, beer. you know, you might get, like, laughed out of the bar, yes, for non-alcoholic in Germany. It, yeah, know. in Germany, no, that's just, it's like, uh, it's like, um, uh, idiocracy, you know, where all the water is replaced with Gatorade. Mm. In Germany, it's beer. Right. <laughs> you turn on a faucet, and it's a nice, healthy Hefeweizen. Exactly. Yeah, there's been a little bit of theorizing, like I guess that he's been missing from part of the G8 summit. He's been up in his hotel room um, with a stomach flu. That's what the statement is. He's got a stomach problem, and so there's a lot of buzz going on right now that it's not really a stomach problem. Perhaps it's brown bottle flu. <laughs> <laughs> Where I come from, that's called a hangover. Yeah, <laughs> a hangover. Ah, uh, the commander in chief. Anyways. Fascinating. I thought that was interesting. What do we think of? Uh, what you were going to say something? No, go ahead. No, what do we think of? Uh, what do we think of, of the Ron Paul report this week? Uh, Tucker Carlson invites Ron Paul to give a freedom tutorial. Did you hear about that? Oh I no, did not I hear did about not. this. I'll pay much attention to uh, it, isn't, it isn't easy, Carlson says. Standing alone is one of the last true small government conservatives in today's Republican Party, said Tucker Carlson in introducing guest Ron Paul for an interview Wednesday on MSNBC. Sort of strange that they'd call me eccentric and strange when I defend the Constitution, says Paul. But I think that the point we've got, that's the point we've gotten to. We're defending the Constitution is a little bit different. What Certainly Ron Paul is getting a lot of attention. Uh, maybe going to off the news and into our topic, but yeah, Ron Paul's getting a lot of attention on the net. I mean, he, he's nowhere in the polls, but anytime you do one of these, you know, quick polls on a website somewhere, Ron Paul wins it. Uh, his his supporters are clearly organized and mobilized, and they're excited for him, and uh, it, it's interesting to see what, what's going to happen. What does he represent to, uh, to the process? I mean, he's sort of, he's a a constitutional Republican, but the Democrats. Well, he was a libertarian. He actually ran, ran for president as a libertarian uh, in the general election a few years back. Um, yeah, see, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was, he was a libertarian <laughs> candidate. Um, so, so he's got a pre-existing. I mean, the libertarian folks are all out there supporting him. You know, and in terms of the the Republican base, they're all upset because of the, the vast quantity of spending under the Bush administration. Ron Paul's against all that. And he's the one of the ten of them who is stridently anti-war. He's the one saying in the debates, we should never have gone. We have no business being there. As a libertarian, I think we don't nation build. We, you know, you, you defend the borders, but you keep the military home. And so if you're an upset at the war, he's the guy. If you're a Republican. It's curious to me because I see a lot of support for Ron Paul 
even among the left as well, because of the anti-Iraq war views. And yet, you know, you do a little bit of looking at Ron Paul and all of the ways that um, he is against progressive values in other ways. It makes me wonder, like, you know, how much of the progressive um, fuel is strictly like just a one-issue thing. I mean, how many of the people that are identifying with Democrats or lean de Democrat now that might not have in the past, how much of it is just because of the war and, you know, could be peeled off into um, Ron Paul land? I would, my guess is there's probably a healthy chunk of that. But there's also a healthy, a, a broader chunk of people that look at this administration and the Republicans as being most fundamentally, above all else, just incompetent. They're incompetent at running this war. They were incompetent at dealing with Katrina. Katrina is, I think, almost a bigger turning point for a lot of Americans than the war was. Um, you know, it doesn't matter what somebody promises you. If they can't deliver, then forget it. And that's part of what's going on with, with the Republicans. They, you know, the, the right wing looks at them and says, wait a minute, you promised us spending cuts and tax cuts and you haven't delivered. You've promised us, you know, as they always did, you know, we're going to overturn Roe v. Wade and you haven't delivered. So, you know, it's hard to argue that even if you agree with the Bush administration, that you ought to be happy with them because they haven't exactly delivered on anything. Right. And aren't really the majority of people more really in the center? Americans. I mean, you've got your your extremes on other end, but don't most people sit within? I mean, if you did some sort of bell curve, I don't know. Don't most, most people, people kind of sit in a reasonable, would, balanced area? Most people of, describe themselves as sitting in the middle. Um, yeah. But when you ask, but when you actually, actually ask, ask them about issues, they, then they, they'll, they'll come right down the progressive side almost always, unless they're sort of on the moral stuff. The right. Don't like gays and don't, you know love guns and all that stuff. I saw a great study once on deliberative, deliberative democracy, something like that, but it was, it was there, very much that kind of test where they take a group of people, they ask them where they stand in the issues, they come out like in a particular area on the spectrum, and then they educate them on all of these issues, you know, just by letting them ask questions, giving them presentations and everything, and then they test them again, you know, invariably they move a little bit to the left, you know, it's just, it's really Well, we once had a college friend, and we were sitting around talking, and he was um, anti-liberal, you know, and we're sitting here, we're going, what are you talking about? You're a total liberal. And he's like, no, I'm not, because he, you know, somewhere through his family history, that was a bad word. So we started asking him questions about how he feels about this. We're like, that's a liberal position, you know. And now all of a sudden he's embraced it and and um, it's he actually cool really before. right, <laughs> but it's really gotten into into he just had it to as he's understood the word it more. In a lower octave, liberal. You know. liberal. <laughs> liberal make it sound tough. <laughs> liberal. So because some, well, you know, the Republicans did a great job of making that be a dirty word over the years. Yeah. And making Liberal people, as the four-letter word mm -hmm. in uh, the political four-letter word. And kind of be ashamed to identify themselves that way. Why uh, is Paris Hilton in jail? <laughs> oh, she's back again? Yeah. I, I Breaking news. Uh, was that too much of a traffic change? Well, it's funny. I was envisioning you going around the table asking us, you know, like what we were going to say about news. And all I could think of was Paris Hilton. And I was feeling embarrassed about that. Seriously? <laughs> well, then I'm glad I was so prophetic. about our society and, it, well, it and does. the influence of media. The, the fact is that this comes right after the Ron Paul story. I think it's fascinating that Paris well, is the order of the headlines. ordered First order. back to jail. She'll get credit for five days. There's a, there's a credit accounting system to time in jail. She leaves the courtroom in tears screaming, Mom, 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 it's not all right. 
it's not right, she says. Really? Yes, well, I know, don't the, know the, what... The crazy thing here is, is that this whole thing is being blown out of proportion. The average... She got 45 days for probation violation. In L.A. County, the average probation violation gets 10 days. And under the L.A. County jail rules, you serve one. You serve about 10% of the time that you're given. Right. So, you know, she should she should have gotten a 10-day sentence and served one. Then she, she got, got a 45-day 45 45-day sentence. sentence. And she served five now, which is the 10% rule. Right. She should be going home now. And I have no love lost for her. So I'm wondering where you're landing here. It's you know, like a punchline coming from you that's going to surprise The important point me. here is that, they're, is that they're using her as an example uh, to prove that they're, they're going to be tough on law and order. Mm. When the reality is, is, you know, guess what? In L.A. County, a probation violation gets you 10 days and you serve one. They're trying to sort of smokescreen that yeah. reality. Yeah. Suddenly, they have forty-five days to hang their hat on. It's like it's like um, uh, you know the, the search for the great white defendant. You know, you hear about these urban uh, urban DAs offices. They're, they're so tired of going after the same old folks all the time that they want. They're looking for the great white rich defendant that they can make a, you know a, an example. Of. Oh well, this is a hallelujah and get famous case off right of. here. Yeah, they'll get famous and they you know yeah. so. write a book. Well, this is Chicago. <laughs> Uh, you know, I mean, this is the story of fame. Make, uh, do we need to make her more famous? Do we need to make that arm that carries those handbags as promotional that much more uh, valuable? America is at war. Universe, 46 million people don't have health care. Our schools are underfunded. Money is shipping to China by the plane load. And we're talking about a billionaire heiress who's famous for making a sex tape. Then how about yeah. this? How about exactly. this show, that uh, this Dutch reality TV show? We've got to talk about it because it made me so crazy. Have you heard about this? The Great Big Donor Show? No. The Kidney Show. Yeah, okay. So the concept was this. Uh, the Big Donor Show, set to air last Friday, terminally ill cancer patient selects one of three patients to receive her kidneys. Right? And uh, so viewers get to watch these testimonials from all these Dutch contestants uh, aged between 18 and 40, and, and they get to send text messages with advice on who to pick. Uh, what do you think of the concept? Wow. <laughs> I'm, like, speechless. Because, let me say, it aired. I mean, the show aired. It's really kind of gross. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even put, put words to it. it it's, uh, you know, you kind of, you can't you look at reality TV and think it can't get any worse. Yeah. And, and then, just got, yeah. And then it does. And then it does. <laughs> it's kind of an exercise, like, even to try to imagine an idea that's so uncomfortable and disgusting yeah, that how it do you would be that? rejected. That's right. That's the thing that makes me so insane about this. I mean, here we are talking about the, you know, you talk about it. Why are we talking about Paris Hilton? Why is she news? Why, uh, what is it going to take to satisfy the, the reality TV bloodlust, right? That is clearly international. Clearly, it's going to have to be a real life version of Arnold Schwarzenegger's Running Man. You know, it's probably and not that's the too movie far where from they, it. Where the, you know, the guys uh, got the death penalty and they had to run away from the. From the bad guys and the kill them, hunt them down. They got yeah. away, then they got from away. From the yeah. pro wrestlers yeah. in costumes? Absolutely. Uh, it, it Probably that not too far going. from the truth. That's that is where we're going. going. Now, it turns out that... Arnold Schwarzenegger, prophetic. <laughs> Amen. And uh, can we... <laughs> Rambo 4, hello? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the trailer for Rambo 4? No. 70-year-old Rambo going in and fighting yeah. uh, in Darfur? Yeah. He's not trying to escape from Australia where he's... 
you know, been busted for steroid possession. <laughs> Too many facelifts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm John Rambo. Uh, well, the, back to the to the Dutch reality TV show. Turns out it was a hoax. And at the end of the show, the producers came on and said that you know we're just trying to raise awareness about the fact that there is a significant uh, uh, donor issue that you know, and we thought this was the best way to do it. So it's not really a show. It was a show, and it aired. But it turns out, yeah, just one episode, and it turns out it's not going to, you know, the cancer patient was actually an actress uh, and was not actually terminally ill. But some of the other people were real, though, right? Well, the people who were willing to donate, I think, were real, but I don't have anything to base that on. Yeah. Uh, So the point is, they're just trying to say, hey, we need more people to sign up as donors. Yeah, and the fact is... This got on the air. Yeah, that's the problem I have with it. Like you, you come up with like surprise, it was a hoax. We're really not this disgusting as a society. So it's kind of like a moose line somewhere, but it still doesn't really kind of. And yet we are that gross, right? (laughs) It still aired. People still watched it. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's the point. That makes me insane. Um, Let's see. What else do we have? Uh, Okay, geek news. Have you heard about uh, Microsoft Surface? No. Their new announcement. This is an interesting company. They actually have some vision, potentially. Released a Surface Computing Initiative. It's been floating around the web for many years now. It's nothing really new technologically, but the fact that they're trying to commercialize it on a very large scale to turn like the table we're sitting around into a computer that you touch and oh, and, so by Surface it actually so it actually does mean the, the surface. surface top. Yeah, and there's an interesting speech when you hear uh, Bill Gates talk about it. You know, envisioning the future five years from now, it's a surface. Uh, you know, every surface is covered with a computing device. Uh, you know, your living room table, your kitchen table, restaurants will all have you know, mattress these tables. <laughs> well, and that's it. Is there any room in the house anymore? <laughs> I'm not sure we want that level of interactivity. Yeah. Yeah. Is this a family radio program? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was actually Kurt last week that earned us the explicit tag. Let's see if just, we could beat it this week. I'm going to dance right around the edges of that this week. <laughs> it, it is a very interesting concept, and it you can find it over at... Uh, uh, Microsoft.com, I think, slash Surface. But it is really interesting to the point where, like, we're sitting here at this table, and, uh, you know, in the future, you'll be able to say, you know, we're all four of us sitting around here, we want to go Dutch. So we all put our credit cards on the table, and Mm -hmm. they get picked up. And then the menu comes up of the things we ate, and we just drag the things to the credit cards. Into our credit cards. Into our credit cards. And that's how you pay. You can order more. Yeah, you can order more. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's kind of a cool concept. Yeah. So, interesting concept. They're really making a big push on this thing. It's worth I'm just shocked you're bringing up something that's not an apple. I was too, and I was actually <laughs> blogging about this because uh, it was the first time that, and I've been not terribly impressed with Microsoft for a long time, and, and uh, you know, looking at this, uh, and looking at some of the, if you haven't seen the Photosynth demo at live. or uh, labs.live.com slash Photosynth, go check it out. It is unbelievable the semantic data that they are creating out of mass libraries of photographs they they have taken they went to Flickr and they did a search for Notre Dame and so they got every picture that has even a corner of Notre Dame in it and then they run this series of algorithms and it pulls together a 3d model of Notre Dame using all these people's photographs and they're all scaled appropriately so you can actually look at a 3d model of Notre Dame in space and then zoom in and look at the individual photographs that are all aligned at the appropriate angles to see what they are doing to make up that picture. 
it is awesome. it is really uh, it is amazing and it makes me I mean of course they bought a company that does this and now they're investigating it but it is really amazing technology and so it's it's neat to see Microsoft doing some good things so hmm. props to our guy Ray Ozzy for stepping in and doing some cool things online we like Ray Ozzy we do like Ray Ozzy yeah. uh, do you have anything else Ray? Well, I was say, did you guys hear about the new peace index no, I don't no. know how they how they use what they're using is, is like criteria the index? <laughs> I've heard about the Rapture Index. No, I've not heard of that. What is that? that? The Rapture Index, it might not be the exact name of it, but there's a website where if, you know, certain more and more bad things start happening, oh, then there's oh, a point okay. system which gets us closer and closer, closer to, to the Rapture. If you see locusts, okay. you know, you should, you know, yeah. Yeah. absolve yourself of your sins. That's right. right. And if you see locust plus frog, that goes up by yeah. a factor there of two. Quick so, apologize yeah. for that next <laughs> <laughs> it spiked up kind of high at various times. Like it spiked up, you know, after 9/11. It spiked up after Katrina because of all the, you know, God-made disaster kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, that, that's. What, when, there was a funny when we were at the uh, one of the anti-war rallies. A guy had a uh, sign that said, "The Rapture is not an exit strategy." <laughs> <laughs> I thought excellent. it was great. Oh. Actually, my oh. husband took a picture of it for a while. It was his. Uh, yeah, I love yeah. that. No, but this is um, a new index, Global Peace Index, where they rank 121 countries by basically their peacefulness. Wow. So, man. anybody want to take a guess of where we sit no. out of 121? That's depressing. Oh, man. We're 96. I was going to say, if we're over 100, <laughs> I'm really going to be depressed. And guess who we're in between? Yemen and Iran. <laughs> Who's that means more peaceful? war with Iran really is an epidemic, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Because, so. Why? Because we're all just trying to work our way up the scale? <laughs> Knocking people off. Yeah, yeah. what you do is you go to Who's work with each one. one. Yeah. Who's yeah. number one? Norway. Of course. Oh, number yeah. One. They don't even have commercials there. Could have seen so. that coming. Yeah, and who was last? Iraq. So, you not, know, too, not too I gotta, shocking. I got to tell you, actually, that does surprise me a little bit at this point. You know, even just as a statement, wouldn't it be funny if Iraq came in at 120? Oh, yeah. There's, somebody in, <laughs> there's, there's like one worse, you there's know. There's one worse than that. Yeah. No, it was um, Iraq after Russia, Israel, and Sudan. Wow. So, wow. Sudan, Fascinating. But I don't know. It didn't give the criteria of really what they used. To, yeah, I'd be to interested that, to but, see the math. Yeah. We're huh. 96. We're 96. <laughs> We're 96. <laughs> so proud. It is. It is something that warms my heart a little bit. Well, okay. So let's talk about uh, car just shall we? Uh-oh. <laughs> let's do it. Uh, Blue Oregon. Blue Oregon is a, a blog that is uh, focused on Oregon politics. In particular, it's focused on a Oregon politics from a progressive bent. Um, it is one of the bigger state-level political blogs they'll find in the country. Um, not the biggest, but uh, you know, decent size for a, for a state our size. Uh, we probably get about, oh, you know, 6,000, 7,000 readers a week okay. that come by and check it out, a couple of thousand a day. Uh, and it, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Why, uh, why, why? Why? Why did you do this? Um, you know, it actually started as an experiment. Uh, a, a few of us got together. Uh, Jeff Allworth and Jesse Cornett were the other co- two co-founders. I was actually the skeptic in the group, saying there's no way it would actually work. Uh, and shockingly <laughs> enough, it did. Uh, I think it's a great opportunity to, to deliver news and information and gossip and action alerts to an audience of people who care about Oregon, who care about changing this special place, uh, for the better, um, 
to uh, to get an alternative voice, an alternative view on the news, and um, you know, collaborate and take action together. Are you a native Oregonian? Basically, I, I moved here when I was four and a half years old. Native enough. Native enough. Homegrown, as they say. <laughs> I'm I'm fascinated in the process that takes you from you know I'm I'm interested in in the process to I'm a political pundit at this point in Oregon politics. Why Oregon politics? I mean, why? Uh, what what? Uh, well, of course, I, I was, what had you kicking and screaming? I was involved in Oregon politics process? for a long time before Blue Oregon came How along. How so? '96, um, I worked on a congressional campaign for Darlene Hooley. Um, 98, I ran a campaign uh, for Metro Council for David Bragdon. So I was kind okay. of a, sure. uh, you know, a, a political hack. So you've got uh, some skin around. in the game already? Yeah. Uh, you know, to me, uh, when people say, what makes you want to blog, uh, particularly blog about the news and politics, to me, a, a blogger is that person who, when they read the paper, looks up and tries to find the nearest person so they can tell them something. Hey, did you see this story? <laughs> if you're the kind of person who says, oh, did you, could you see, did you see this story for... If your family's annoyed at you for constantly telling them what's in the paper, uh, then you're a blogger. That's that's the kind of that's even kind of if you aren't writing on the web, you will be soon. You will be soon, <laughs> and, that, and that's the personality type that, that, that ought to be blogging. I, and as as far back as I can remember, I mean, six years old, seven years old, I'm reading the paper, yelling at my siblings, and they're like, "Shut up about the paper." So now I don't bother them. Now I I bother two thousand readers a day at Blue Oregon. That's fascinating. All right. Uh, well, Mary comes in, and the first thing she says is, "Oh, I'm." I'm so honored to have you here. You're you're famous. Uh, where did you? What were you doing on the radio? Do you have a regular? Well, he show? you come on like weekly, don't you? I'm a, uh, you're every a regular correspondent. I'm on KPOJ. Yeah. Yes. So he comes on and they interview him just about Oregon politics and stuff that's on his blog. And I rant for 20 minutes and that's that. Yeah. <laughs> it's all kinds of fun. So that's fantastic. All right. So Blue Oregon is your outlet. Uh, you. Uh, uh, give us a give us a summary of the state of Oregon politics, your area of expertise right now. What are we, what are we, where do we stand? Well, Oregon is a is an interesting place, and, and for your non-Oregon listeners, Oregon is sort of a microcosm uh, of of America in a lot of ways. There was actually a study just done recently that showed that Oregon was the most average of all the states in many ways, uh, demographically. Um, we're we're a little less in terms of people of color in terms of economic status and so many other things. We're we're the most average. Uh, of course, in other ways, we're not at all average. We're the least we're the least churched state in the country. We are the least militarized state in the country. Um, people go to church here less than anywhere else in America. Wow, um, that is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and and. Um, you know, we there's come, so much to do. Who wants to go to church? Yeah. You know, have, they're hiking. We're, we're up in Mount Hood. Yeah. yeah. Of course, because of the rain, we have more, more bowling alleys per capita, more bookstores per capita, more libraries per capita, more uh, strip clubs. Strip clubs say, per capita. Yeah. That's the one we all know. Everyone knows that one. <laughs> everyone knows that one. So come, come to Oregon, all you international <laughs> We'll show you a good time. Um, but, uh, but you know, Oregon is in a place where people think of it around the country as a fairly liberal state. Uh, and yet, for 16 years, our state legislature was controlled by not just Republicans, but very conservative Republicans. Um, and as a result, our state has really struggled with a lot of you know, things like education funding and tax fairness. Um, we're also a state that uh, pretty regularly approves uh, citizen initiatives that cut taxes and build prisons and other more you know, sort of fun right-wing things. 
Um, so we, we kind of struggle with our, our politics. Our politics is very um, uh, it's combative and it's uh, difficult to kind of work through. And uh, it's been fun watching this current legislature that we have actually achieve some things. The Democrats now have unified government for the first time uh, since 1990. And uh, it's been fun watching them actually accomplish some things in terms of you know, health care and energy independence and uh, some tax reform stuff. They're not solving every problem, uh, and there's a long way to go, but, you know, they've made a good step, good, good start in the first six months. That's the state of Oregon politics. Well, that was, I feel like I just got out of civics class. <laughs> uh, so I guess I might ask the question is, if we've had kind of that conservative bent, at least from a legislature standpoint for so long, how on earth are we, did we get death with the, I mean... How did something like that pass? How did how does kind of the decriminalization of marijuana play a role? Medical there? marijuana, and you know, yeah, legalized suicide. Legalized Oregon has and, and no sales tax. When are we going to be seeing a sales tax? I mean, Oregon has a very libertarian bent. More than anything else, Oregonians okay, believe so in letting other people alone. And you leave people alone. Let, you know, as they say, you know, you can you can smoke marijuana if you're sick. You can kill yourself if you get really sick. Um, you know, they tried to pass a, a ballot measure to uh, regulate strip clubs and porn bookstores. That went down yeah. in flames. Um, at the same time, they also don't want to be taxed. Uh, you know, Oregon has a sort of libertarian okay. bent about it. Um, and it's always that sort of urban-rural mix of, of where things come from. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, particularly when then we have a state where we want to have a world-class educational system. We want to have a world-class university. Uh, we want to have an economy that competes on a global level, and yet, because of the sort of anti-tax attitude, it's hard to get the funding into the, the schools right. and universities and so on. Yeah, I'm curious, um, especially about things having to do with uh, like uh, the direct initiatives and the fact that we've had that mix of you know kind of there being more um, conservative and uh, liberal urges, you know, warring against each other in this state. Is there something about um, the way that we've set things up, like especially with the direct initiatives, that kind of creates a like a structural bias that you might lead to more uh, conservative output and laws that might, then might actually um, be reflective of who we are as a population in this state? That's an interesting question. You might be right. Certainly, you know, citizens' initiatives. Um, come about because people are, are being critical. And when you're being critical of the government, it's easy to sort of get a sledgehammer and, 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 and break down walls. And that tends to lead toward more conservative solutions mm. to things. It's, it's pretty hard to use a sledgehammer to build a wall. Right. Um, you know, Oregon was the first state in the country to have the citizen initiative. Uh, and we've used it more than any other place in the country. Um, you remember the years when we used to have 20 or 25 at a time on the ballot. It's a little harder to qualify them now, and now we tend to see eight or ten at a time. <laughs> yeah, you do get worn out. Um, and um, I think that's one of Oregon's really tough challenges, because it's hard to craft good, thoughtful legislation if it doesn't go through the legislative process. As much as we don't like the legislature, at least there's a process there where some professional lawyers do the drafting, and then it goes through committees, and people get all the commas in the right places, and you hear testimony. Um, a citizen's initiative, you know, the three of us, four of us can sit around a table and write something up. If we raise enough money, find yeah. some, some sugar daddy to give us a million bucks, it'll go on the ballot. And if the people vote for it, it becomes law. 
and there will, there will have been no process where people thought about the impact of every word right. and every yeah. comma. I find the citizens' initiatives kind of frustrating sometimes because I just know, I mean, especially from having a technical career of my own, that sometimes the best solution is the counterintuitive solution. And you don't run into that with citizens' initiatives sometimes. And sometimes it's the solution that just sounds good. That gets the At the support. moment. You yeah. know, somebody was asked me the other day, wouldn't it be great if we could write legislation in the form of a wiki? We could have like a Wikipedia type thing where people could write legislation and people could get in and argue about the, about, you know, they'd submit, you know, a new line of, of law and other people would argue about it. And as I thought about it, it sounded like an interesting idea. Um, that is functionally what the legislative process is. Mm -hmm. Somebody proposes a bill, yeah. and then other people stand up and they propose amendments, and then there's amendments to the amendments, and each one gets voted on in turn. Um, you know, the legislative process really is a stand-up-in-a-room wiki, mm -hmm. where people are discussing and debating the language coming together, which is different than a citizen initiative where you write it down and you throw it on the ballot, and if it passes, that's the law. Yeah based on, you know, a bunch of handshakes in a neighborhood and people who probably aren't very well educated in the process. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, if, if you and I wrote, wrote down, you know, come up, came up with an idea mm -hmm. and wrote down a, a chunk of uh, proposed <laughs> Oregon law, if we were able to qualify it for the ballot, and that would probably cost us about a half a million bucks, you get it on the ballot, if the people vote for it, that's yeah. the law. And there will have been no process where, you know, if you and I made a mistake in the drafting, and, you know, said shall instead of must, or must instead of shall, or, you know, put the commas in the wrong places, or didn't think about the impact this law would have on some other law, or how it would interact with federal law or local uh, regulations, you can cause a mess. And that's kind of been the problem with Measure 37. Whether you agree with it or don't agree with the Go concept. Go ahead and define Measure 37. Measure 37 uh, was passed by the Oregon voters in 2006. Um, Maybe I shouldn't have brought this up. This gets kind of, kind of detailed. But basically, it, it changes the rules of Oregon's land use law. It says, basically, if you have a piece of land, and at some point during your ownership, the state changes the zoning laws uh, or the, the regulations by which you can use your land, then the state has to pay you for your loss, even if you never had any plans to actually do anything with it, to pay you for your loss or waive the regulation for you. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds good at first. It sounds right. well, and good there's, And there's first. precedent for it nationally. I mean, there, there, this is not, we're not the only state that has a We're similar. the state that's gone the furthest with it. Mm -hmm. um, and whether you agree with the concept or not, it turns out that the drafting wasn't done by people who have a really in-depth understanding of real estate law, of land use law, and most particularly title insurance law. Uh, so now you've got a situation where even if it, if it, if it stays the law and the legislature has uh, issued a fix, but under the current law, you might have the right to build your property, but because of mistakes that they made, no bank would loan you the money to mm -hmm. build on your property. Wow. Because it burns down. If your building burns down and the law changes, you're out of luck. We don't need to get into details of mm -hmm. land use law. But the point is that citizen initiatives often are not fully, you know, the egg isn't fully boiled. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're sort of coming up with crazy ideas and activists are coming up with ideas and people are voting on bumper stickers and slogans right. rather than right. legislation. Which is, you know, protect the family farm. That was, I know, one That's right. thing yeah. behind it. And, and what people, you know, I don't know how this kind of plays in, but I know me, where I live, out in Clackamas, you know, now our concern is it's just, you know, Part of what's made Oregon nice is the urban growth boundaries and, and having nature so close, and, and there's you know benefits for that on, on many realms, health realms, you know those kinds of things. Um, and it's just claims all over the place. It's, and it's like, first of all, who's going to move? I mean, where are all these people coming from? We're just going to end up with these 
enormous. I'm from the Midwest, okay? It's total urban sprawl. It's just miles and miles of miles of developments of houses that all look the same. I mean, it's just, it, it's going to start to change the whole character and the nature of the city. And I think that's, that's a big shocking piece for people, is that realizing that a lot of developers were really behind that so that they could come in and take these large Well, sure, because Portland is, becomes the sort of the northwest Phoenix, you know. Yeah, the, the, and, and are we ready for that yeah. infrastructure-wise? I mean, there's just a lot of ramifications that can come from that, and then thus we got to raise money because then we need to expand our highway system, and then we've got to, I mean, it just and do it we snowballs. Have, do, well, it gets back to the tax system. Do we have a tax system that can support the infrastructure that the community needs. I have never lived in a place with a two-tiered tax system. This whole sort of two legs on a stool doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Uh, you mean I'm, they're just missing a sales tax? Yeah, that we're missing yeah. a sales tax. And, and you know, uh, yeah, I just have a hard time wrapping my head around why I'd, I'm not paying sales tax mm -hmm. uh, in a place that where we're struggling so hard for education resources and for you know, growth it's, it's resources. It's a real challenge in Oregon because Oregonians feel like they're playing, paying plenty of taxes. Well, in, uh, proper, in terms of property tax and in income tax. We are paying we plenty are. of taxes. Uh, so the question is, is the, 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 sort of the, the underlying subliminal uh, message or, or question that people struggle with is I pay plenty of taxes. I don't feel like I've had a huge tax cut over the last 15 or 20 years. And while there's been some tax relief, um, how come our schools are completely underfunded? Why, why is state government so underfunded? And the answer is that there's been a dramatic shift from in the balance of individual versus corporate taxes. <coughs> it used to be that uh, corporations in Oregon paid about half of the tax load, and individuals paid about half. Today it's about 80% individuals, 20% corporations. That's a that, huge that is significant, shift. Right? It's a massive shift. You know, if you just rolled back... Uh, all the corporate uh, tax breaks, just back to, to you know 2000 or even 1998, not not way back to the 50s, just 10 years, uh, you you'd solve all the sort of fiscal problems that our state has today. It's tremendous. Fascinating. How was it? Enron paid what? Ten bucks. Enron. Uh, Enron had of, of all of its businesses. Enron. Most of Enron's business was fictitious yeah. stuff. Yeah. The one business that they had that actually made money, that actually did something useful was here in Oregon, Portland General Electric. Uh, it was a profitable, one profitable actual cash right. flow positive part of Enron. Uh, and it paid $10 in taxes at the height of its profitability because of Say. all the taxes. They were shifting well, the losses yeah, from the rest of Enron into Oregon wow. to, to write off the profits. Now, Enron aside, functionally, these decisions were made uh, from uh, at the legislative level, at the tax, you know, at the from a policy level to encourage corporate growth, right? That's the idea. That's the idea. If corporate taxes in Oregon are 49th or 50th in the country as they are, then we should be first or second in the country in jobs, right? That's the question I want to know. We don't have the Did kind it of work? It didn't work. Hmm. It turns out that um, cutting taxes for corporations doesn't create corporate growth and jobs. Um, and the biggest problem we have is that when the schools get underfunded, uh, then good companies don't want to move here. Because their companies employees are here, aren't going to put their kids into the school. companies that are here are having real trouble getting executives to move here. Intel had a famous case where they were trying to bring in a top-level uh, vice president, somebody to run one of their business units. Uh, and that guy said, I'm not moving to Portland. I'm not moving to Oregon because my kids aren't going to go to those schools. And that's kind of what helped turn Intel around on this idea of, of funding the schools and funding the universities. Now, 
Intel's also not been necessarily the best leader on the corporate tax side. They're wanting more spending, but they're not yeah. willing necessarily to pay for it. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. You know, I, feel, I feel very good about Oregon. I don't want to sort of sound like a pessimist and the sky is falling. Uh, the Democrats are in charge of the legislature now for the first time in 16 years. People of Oregon are trying to get it. I really feel like things are changing. People are trying to, to get it. What is it that tells you people are starting to get it? What's the evidence that you're tracking? In Oregon, uh, the state is pretty much run by whichever party can win Washington and Clackamas counties. Yeah. As Washington and Clackamas County go, those are the, the two suburban counties outside of Portland. Uh, and it, it was just a few years ago, 10 years ago, when you looked at Washington County, uh, which is, by the way, the home of Nike and Intel and the technology industry, uh, and it was solid Republican countryside. And now it's almost all Democrats in the legislature there from Washington County. Uh, Washington County voted for John Kerry for president. Uh, the folks there, it's a lot of young families, a lot of families that are coming in from California uh, to work in the tech industry. Um, they don't understand either why we don't have a sales tax, and they identify that as being part of the school funding problem. Uh, the demographics of Oregon are shifting to make it a little, a little more friendly to to young families trying to raise kids okay. and businesses that rely on, you know, we used to rely on a natural resource extraction kind of industry. Sure. And now we're, we're a place where we rely on the technology industries and high tech, high education industries, whether it's marketing and PR world, or advertising world, which we're very good at, biotech or, or computer technology. I'm going to change gears. So do you guys have other Oregon questions? I was just going to ask what's his thoughts on um, Gordon Smith and his chances. <laughs> My friend Gordon Smith. Gordon Smith, our U.S. Senator, um, Republican U.S. Senator, who um, is up for re-election in 2008. I'm going to do my best to, to end his career. Um, <laughs> I love the uh, the Stop Gordon Smith badge on Yeah, we have, uh, we have a website com. called StopGordonSmith.com, <laughs> which will be ramping up here in a few weeks. Um, but um, Gordon Smith is uh, Oregon's uh, only elected official statewide uh, who's a Republican. Um, he uh, regularly uh, likes to pretend he's a moderate. He exactly. makes big announcements whenever he has a moderate position. Uh, I'm sure just about everyone who listens to this show remembers that in December he called, he was the first Republican to break ranks with George Bush. He called the war in Iraq absurd and possibly even criminal. Mm -hmm. He said that he would do everything in his power to bring our troops home. Well, just last week he voted with all the Republicans to continue funding the war, uh, and he did it very quietly. You know, got all the press for being a moderate, but right. then he cast another right-wing vote. He promised in 2002 that he would stand up to the Bush administration against uh, oil, oil drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. Mm -hmm. He's now voted, I think it's four or five times in favor of it. Right. He says he supports Oregon's minimum wage. He actually voted to override it at the federal level. Um, this is a guy who uh, is not what he says he is. His votes don't match his quotes. Exactly. And so um, we're going to do our best to put an end to his career in 2008. <laughs> and do you think people, particularly, because doesn't, doesn't he get strong support in the rural in rural Oregon? He is from rural Oregon, and, so. and sure, like, like a lot of Republicans, he gets support in, in rural Oregon. The reality is, is that... Um, Again, Oregon will be will be won by whichever candidate can control Washington and Clackamas counties, uh, and that's he's done a phenomenal job in the past of, of hanging on to those two counties, and mm -hmm. uh, but they're slipping away from him now. Check out stopgordonsmith.com to sign up for more information or donate directly to the uh, uh, to whoever the, the campaign, whoever it's going to be. Yeah.
That's that was kind of my next question is uh, like what uh, what campaigns, uh, what Democratic campaigns or statewide campaigns do you think are going to be really interesting like over over this next two years? Well, Oregon's a fascinating place politically in 2008. Uh, we have uh, uh, the state treasurer is leaving office. Uh, he's termed out. So there'll be an open seat for state treasurer, an open seat for state attorney general, an open seat for secretary of state. So all three of the really? big statewide will be open. Uh, plus then the fight against Gordon Smith. Uh, so uh, Oregon is going to be ground zero for a lot of good politics in 2008. Not to mention, as usual, control over the legislature. And oh, by the way, a new presidential election. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, you run blueoregon.com. You also run leftyblogs.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can get into as much of that as, as you want to. But what I'm most interested in is it, it seems that this, this sort of intersection of politics and technology uh, really took off. Uh, it has really taken off over the last four years. I mean, sort of, uh, what does it mean for you to be in between those two uh, sort of disparate mindsets? Uh, you, you know, sort of the, the Howard Dean launch pad and, uh, you know, in terms of using technology to really empower uh, grassroots movement. And- well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to be part of... Um, uh, a world that is changing where a lot of people are experimenting and trying new things. Um, you know, we're, we're all trying to figure out how do you, how do you use this technology um, not just to do cool things on the Internet, but to actually um, organize more people, um, communicate um, to them effectively, uh, get them mobilized to, to take action, to, to actually walk away from the computer and do, go do something, knock on doors, right. uh, raise money, throw a party, um, march in the streets, whatever it is. Um, it's this very fascinating new space where there's a whole lot of experimenting going on, and uh, I have a lot of fun. Is there any discussion anymore about the people that you're missing by working with an online grassroots campaign? Yeah, there is to a certain extent, although I should point out that almost all the work that I do uh, and almost everything you do on the Internet uh, with campaigns is not really targeted at voters. It's really targeted at, at finding and mobilizing supporters. So if you, um, so, we, so when I when I work with a client, a particular campaign, what we're trying to do with our website and with our internet strategy, is to um, find those people who want to come help, uh, get them organized, communicate to them, get them excited, get them to come out and, and do stuff for us. It's less about really communicating to voters because it's those supporters who are communicating with the voters. It's the voters, yeah, yeah exactly. It's the supporters who are, who are getting out there. They're the ones who are trying to sort of. You know, people call, say the internet is sort of like uh, uh, these websites really are preaching to the choir. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. We're trying to preach to the choir, grow the choir, get the choir out of the church and down the street. That's what, that's what we're really what we're doing. Well, this has been fascinating. We're sitting here with Kari Chisholm from uh, blueoregon.com. MandateMedia.com mm-hmm. is your company. And uh, uh, we are uh, uh, sitting here at the lovely... John Barleycorns. Thank you to McMinniman's Barleycorns for letting us sit here in the big, uh, the big table in the corner with the nice windows, uh, and uh, and talk about politics today. This has been a, a, a very interesting discussion. Uh, it's been fun. It has been fun. Closing comments from you guys. I'm buzzing. I'm just kind of thinking about all of this. It makes mm-hmm. me feel more interested in researching more Oregon politics again now. So There you go. Kurt Siffer oh. turned activist. <laughs> uh, KurtSiffer.com. Mary Bradbury Jones. Yes. Do you have a website to plug? I don't. Beer30.com. Head over to Beer30.com. You can uh, buy swag. You can see the, la- the other episodes in the show. Oh, I should say uh, that if your feeds changed, 
over the last two weeks. I, you know, I found that we add, we talk a lot about the old Tuesday noon shows. So I went ahead and added all of the back episodes that were the lost episodes of, of Tuesday noon, including a couple that never actually aired. Uh, they're all up now, and they're all in the uh, Beer 30 Live feed. So refresh your feed, and you will see not just the new uh, current episodes, but uh, scroll down further, and you'll see all sorts of, of uh, gooey Tuesday noon goodness. Um, let's see. Anything else to report? I think we're uh, I think we're all done. Thanks for listening, everybody. Beer30.com. Uh, Pete Wright, Kurt Siffert, Mary Bradbury Jones, and thank you again. Kari Chisholm, we'll see Thanks you. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Excellent. We will see you next week. We're out. Bow, 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 bow,